Before I get started on uh, the sermon today, I do want to say a few words about uh, the happenings of this week uh, and share a little bit uh, with you about that. Uh, we've had a very, very difficult week in our nation um, with all with the riots in, in Washington, D.C., the political fallout of that, uh, the, uh, the, uh, just the polarity uh, of, of our nation right now is, is uh, very heavy. And I, I just want you to, to realize that this is what happens when we become so partisan that we begin to demonize uh, the other side. We begin to portray them as uh, hating America and trying to destroy it. Whatever side you're on, uh, those, uh, those uh, barbs have been throwed, throwed, thrown toward uh, the other side. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we especially need to be very careful about uh, engaging in the party spirit. The Bible warns us against being involved in the party spirit, and that means you simply get involved with a group that has kind of a group think, and you go along with them, and you, and you stop analyzing what you're doing in terms of what is right and what is wrong, and you just do it anyway because the whole group is doing it. It's kind of a mob mentality. That happens not only in physical mobs, but also in, in political mobs uh, across uh, boundaries and so forth. And uh, as Christians, we need to be careful, very, very careful, about getting involved in party spirit. Um, in fact, uh, I, I do not belong to a political party because I do not want to uh, spread my allegiance apart from Jesus. Uh, I analyze political issues based on what I understand to be the truth in scriptures and how uh, God has revealed that to us. And so uh, that may be right or not right for you, but it is right for me. And, and I just encourage you, no matter what political party you belong to, that you remember that if you're a Christian, your first allegiance is to Jesus and not to your political party. And no matter what your political party says, uh, Jesus may have a, a contrary point that you need to take in, into account. Uh, we need to be peacemakers and reconcilers in this nation and throughout the world, and, and not to join in with uh, our political uh, compatriots and uh, bowl over the other side as best we can. That's just not the way of the gospel. We need to be reconcilers and peacemakers. And so I encourage you to think in terms of that rather than political uh, allegiances and loyalties, to think in terms of your allegiance and loyalty to Jesus and walk in those ways and be different. We are called to be different in this world. We are called to be holy and righteous, to walk in the ways of Jesus and not in the ways of the world. So those are some of my thoughts as we, as we enter into this next phase in our history. May the Lord have mercy on us and may God draw us together. Uh, and may we as Christians, as followers of the Prince of Peace, be people of peace in these days and in the days to come. Amen to that. All right, we are beginning a series today called Because of Who You Are, and it, it's based on the names that God uh, is given or takes on of him, for himself in the Old Testament. Um, you know, in the Bible, names are very, very significant. They're more than just good-sounding monikers for a particular person, and it's more than just uh, honoring a relative. A name describes, in the scriptures, describes the character and essence of a person. You know, even in our culture today, we talk about how a name might fit a person. We might say, well, she doesn't really look like a Kathy to me, or he doesn't look like a Bob, or I'm not really sure I can even pronounce her name or his name. 
We have a subliminal categories uh, system that we put names and faces into, don't we? And we and we kind of uh, we, we operate under that uh, uh, out of those characters. But in the Bible, names are much deeper than that, and and they go deeper than that. A name describes who a person is. It describes their character. It describes their gifts, their designation of position, perhaps. It describes who they are. So much so that when God changes a name in the Bible, we should pay very close attention because something significant is happening there. That name is significant. When God changed Abram's name to Abraham, he changed it from father to father of a multitude. Abram is father, Abraham is father of a multitude. When God changed Jacob's name to Israel, it was from the, the name that the the name that Jacob describes as he grabs, he's a grabber, he, because he grabbed his brother's heels as, as he was being born, uh, to Israel, which means one who struggles with God. When Jesus changed Simon Peter's name from Simon to Peter, it was from God has heard, which is what Simon means, to the rock, which is what Peter means. And when God is given a name, or when he names himself, we should pay very close attention because it says something about who he is, who God is. The names of God, they help us know him. And when God met Moses through the burning bush in the story of Exodus 3, Moses asked God to tell him his name so that he could report to the Israelites who it was who sent him to them. And the name that God said to Moses was Yahweh. It's a Hebrew word. It's a first-person form of the verb to be. But it carries all the tenses of the verb. So it's, it's to be, uh, has been, and will be. Or I am, I was, and I will be. Usually, simply translated, I am. The traditional pronunciation of it is Jehovah. But the Hebrew language has no J sound. And its V is more like a, what, a W, a W. So Yahweh is probably more accurate. And biblical Hebrew, on top of that, has no vowels. So pronouncing biblical Hebrew words is very difficult. They were, the vowels were added later by those who wanted to preserve the language. So God's name in, in Exodus and throughout the Old Testament is spelled out with consonants only, Y-H-W-H. And we've kind of guessed what the vowel sounds would be in between those consonants so that it is Yahweh. And it's usually translated into English as the Lord, with Lord all capital, capitalized, the Lord. Part of that is because of the tradition uh, in the Jewish faith that the name of God is too holy to write down. And so you, you won't see it written down, or at least it won't be spoken out loud. It, they, will, they will pronounce it Adonai, which is the Lord. So God's proper name is Yahweh or Jehovah, it means I am, and it's translated the Lord very often. But there are many other names given to or claimed by God in Scripture, and learning those names and what they mean can help us to know him better. Over the next six weeks, we'll be looking at six compound names of God, and I'll use the traditional pronunciation of God's name, Jehovah, rather than Yahweh, because that's, that's how it's uh, remembered by those who are familiar with the King James Version of, uh, of the, the Bible. Today we're going to talk about Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord our provider. Next week it's Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. And then we'll look at Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord our 
peace, right? Shalom, peace. And then we'll follow that with Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer, and Jehovah Rohi, or Rohai, the Lord, our shepherd. And finally, the funnest word of all, Jehovah Tzedkenu, Jehovah Tzedkenu, <laughs> the Lord, our righteousness. That's just fun to say. Once we know God, our worship becomes deeper and our walk becomes more in step with him. And so getting to know him is very, very important. So let's look at Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. Remember the story in Genesis 22 where God had promised Abraham that he would create a great nation through his son Isaac. And Abraham and Sarah had trouble having a child, but Sarah's slave woman Hagar had a child by Abraham called Ishmael. But the promise that God had made to Abraham was through Isaac, and everything was going well after Isaac was born. He was growing up, he was maturing, he was a, he was a handsome young man, all the, all the stuff that goes with that. God decided to test Abraham's faith, though, in Genesis 22. He tells Abraham to take his son Isaac and to sacrifice him to God. In other words, to kill him. And the story goes that Abraham takes Isaac and two of his servants and they head out for the place where God would show them. And Abraham leaves the two servants at some distance and then goes the rest of the way with Isaac, Isaac carrying the wood for the sacrifice. And on the way, Isaac begins to kind of look around. You know, you can visualize this story unfolding. And Isaac says, Father, I, I see the wood and I see the fire because they didn't have matches, so Abraham had to bring a, a torch of some, si some sort with fire on it. I see the wood and I see the fire, but where is the lamb? <laughs> and Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb. So Abraham built an altar for the sacrifice, put the wood in order, and then bound Isaac and laid him on top of the wood. Then he took his knife and he was about to plunge it into his son, when an angel interrupted, and that's our passage today, Genesis 22, 12 through 14, that uh, Trevor read for us earlier. The angel said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, and since you have, have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So Abraham named God Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. And also he named the place where this occurred, Jehovah Jireh, also known as Mount Moriah, which in our own uh, history and tradition we know is what we call the wind. We call the wind Moriah, right? Well, Mount Moriah is in what is now Jerusalem, and the rabbis have theorized over the years the combination of Jireh and Shalem, or Shalom, is how the word, the name Jerusalem came about, and that would mean provision of peace, or uh, the Lord provides peace. Remember, there's no vowels in the ancient Hebrew, so uh, it, it, the pronunciation is a little bit tricky there. For Abraham, God provided a substitute sacrifice for Isaac, his son, uh, because not very many dead people are able to be the fathers of many nations uh, if they've not had children before they died, right? So in Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19, we read this. 
By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son, of whom he had been told, It is through Isaac that descendants shall be named for you. He considered the fact that God is able to even, even to raise up someone from the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And prophetically previewing this is what Jesus uh, uh, accomplished on the cross through his substitutionary sacrifice for us. And because we know that God, we know God to be the provider, we believe that God is the source of everything that we have, all that we have, all that anyone has, and all that anyone doesn't actually have but exists. God has provided it all. Specifically, we believe that God provides all that we need. In Philippians 4, verse 19, it says this, And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And if our hearts are in line with his heart, God provides all that we desire. In Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, knowing God as the provider of all should elicit from us a profound attitude of gratitude. As we live lives that are postured toward gratitude, we find ourselves happier and more fulfilled. Contrast that with the attitude of entitlement, which is becoming more and more prevalent in our culture. The thought that the world owes me leads to anger when one doesn't get what one deserves. And of course, what one deserves is everything one wants, right? That even leads to new definitions of rights and becomes a matter of justice that everyone get the same things. That's called equity. When we walk in God's kingdom, however, and we know that God is provider, we learn to receive what God provides with gratitude and to not be so concerned about what we don't have, but rather what we do have. Jesus spoke to that in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25, when he said, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what, we will, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Amen. You know, when we know that everything we have is a gift from God, we have a much easier time than being generous to others. 
First Timothy 6, verse 17 says, As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 says this, And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. So if you're truly walking by faith and someone says to you, Hey, love the pants. Where'd you get them? And instead of saying, I got them at Ross, you can honestly say, God provided and then watch them squirm, right? But then you can explain where you purchased them, and then you can tell them why you said God provided, because you know God to be Jehovah Jireh, our Lord, the provider. Next week, we'll continue this series, Because of Who You Are, with Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. I want you to read Exodus 17, verses 8 through 15, in preparation for that Next week, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner, Exodus 17, 8 through 15.